Well, if you have your Bibles, we're in the Gospel of John, John chapter 17. Uh, as you make your way there in your Bibles, we're continuing to take a look at the life and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, each week we ask the same question, who is Jesus? John gives us a good picture of who he is. Uh, John chapter 17, Jesus is with his disciples still the night before his crucifixion. Um, uh, up to this point, Jesus is either in one of two places as we enter into chapter 17. He's, he's either still in the upper room where he's had dinner with his disciples and have ha has had a long conversation with them, or, which I believe is more likely, he is on his way from Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's probably around midnight, and as he's spending time with his disciples, he's praying for them in this moment. In chapters 13 to 16, they all cover the same night. Jesus is in the upper room, and what Jesus has been doing is he's been instructing them. He's been preparing them, encouraging them for what lies ahead of them, not, in, not only in regards of what's going to happen to him, because he's about to suffer, to die, to rise again, and then he's going to depart from them, but he's preparing them for what's going to happen to them after he departs. Chapters 13 to 16, he's preparing them for the kind of ministry they will have, and the same ministry they will have is the ministry that we have as well. In chapter 13, it's a ministry of service. Jesus told his disciples, as I've washed your feet, after washing their feet, wash one another's feet. That should be our ministry as it was their ministry after Jesus departed. It was a ministry of love. Jesus said in chapter 13, as I have loved you, love one another. By this, all will know you are my disciples, by your love, one for another. In chapter 15, we learned it was a ministry of suffering as well. Jesus said, a servant isn't greater than his master if they persecuted me. They will persecute you. At the end of chapter 16, Jesus said, In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. But it was also a ministry of power. Jesus said uh, and reminded us that he was going to give us his Holy Spirit. Jesus said, It's to your advantage that I go, for if I don't, I can't send the helper. The Holy Spirit provides what is lacking in us to do what God has called us to do, to make disciples and be a witness for him to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit is not just the Spirit of power, but the Spirit of truth who will guide us in all truth. And as Jesus was preparing them for this ministry, he was instructing them in chapters 13 to 16. And having prepared them through instruction, he now prepares them through intercession. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all believers, including you and me, in chapter 17. Now, if you were with us last in the first 19 verses, in the first five verses, Jesus prayed for himself. Jesus prayed that the Father would glorify him and therefore glorify the Father through what he was going to do through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus then prayed for his disciples. He prayed that they would be kept and that they would be sanctified. And having prayed for himself, having prayed for his disciples, now he prays for you and for me, for all believers. Now, there's another prayer that we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and then forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, we call that the Lord's Prayer, but really that's the disciples' prayer, right? We said that last week, and the reason is Jesus has no need to ask for forgiveness. 
Rather, Jesus gave us a pattern for how to pray, and that's a great pattern to pray. When we pray, we might even pray those same words, but if you want to hear the Lord's Prayer, if you want to know what Jesus prayed for himself, prayed for his disciples, but more, more, more of you know, something you want to know, if you want to know how he prayed for you and me, take a look at this prayer. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about your life. Think about our church. If, if Jesus were to pray for you and me, what do you think he would pray for? We prayed tonight for some things. Maybe we pray for our health, pray for our well-being, pray for our relationships, pray for our witness in the world. Well, if you've ever wondered what Jesus would pray specifically for you, you don't have to wonder. Let's go ahead and read it. Verse 20, and we'll be reading to verse 26. It reads this way. I do not pray for these alone, speaking of the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Um, this prayer is an amazing prayer, and we're going to dig more into it, but if ever you need to be encouraged, if ever you need to be reminded of your purpose, reminded of, of what Jesus' heart for you is all about, take time to consider the prayer that he prays. Um, sometimes we'll have couples that you get to see in your office, and they get to share a little bit about their life and their story, and uh, couples who are struggling at times, sometimes I'll ask the question, uh, would you take some time just to stop and let me know how you're praying for your partner, how you're praying for your spouse? Because if you want to know where a couple is at in a marriage and a family and any other kind of relationship, consider what they're praying for the other individual and you'll learn very quickly where they're at. You'll learn very quickly what their relationship is like in regards to their relationship with God and their relationship with their spouse. Your prayers reveal a lot about who you are. They reveal a lot about your heart. And if you want to know God's heart, if you want to know Jesus' heart for you and me, take a look at this prayer. Uh, we've been asking the question, who is Jesus in light of the prayer that he prays? And the first thing we see is that uh, Jesus is the one who prays the Father's will for our unity. Jesus prays for our unity. I say, well, there are different things that we might pray for, our health, our, our, uh, our witness, but our, we, he's going to talk about our witness, but our unity is, is, is what ultimately leads to a greater witness and gives credibility to it, but what Jesus prays for is our unity. Now, as he begins the prayer, we get to see the focus of it. Verse 20, he says, I do not pray for these alone. Jesus has been praying for himself, now he, then he prays for his disciples, but his prayer is big enough to reach the whole church in all generations. 
His bigger, his church, his, I mean, his prayer, excuse me, is powerful enough, not just to reach the disciples, the 11 who are with him, but all who will be impacted by the message that they will proclaim concerning the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus prays this prayer, he prays for you and he prays for me. All believers who will be impacted directly or indirectly by the message the apostles will proclaim concerning the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ who died, who rose, who's coming back again in glory and who offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who would receive it. Jesus says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. I want to remind you that when Jesus prayed this prayer back in verse 1, we learned that he wasn't praying it in private, but rather uh, he's praying it in the presence of his disciples. And so the purpose of the prayer is twofold, if you remember last time we were together. The purpose of the prayer is, number one, to pray the will of the Father. Because when Jesus prays, he prays the will of the Father. But secondly, it was to encourage the faith of the disciples. We talked last time of what an encouragement it is when somebody in those desperate times. I'm not just talking about, you know, when you think life is good and all of a sudden someone runs into you at the grocery store and you share with them you have a problem and they're, and they're like, let me pray for you right now. And you're like, well, I don't know if this is the right place or the right time. I'm talking about when you're completely desperate, so desperate in a moment where you don't even care about what any other people think because your heart is full of sorrow because you're looking for what God is holding for your future and you're so you're so. You don't know what, what's happening that you need, need someone to pray for you. That's the moment when, when you say, I don't care what people think or where I'm at, just pray for me. And Jesus takes a moment to, to pray for these disciples to encourage them. I want you to think about it for a moment of what encouragement it must have been for these disciples in this moment. Their hearts are full of sorrow. They don't fully understand everything that's happening. They, they won't fully grasp everything until after Jesus dies, rises, and then um, he appears to them and then he departs and all of this is going to come back again to them. But can you imagine in those difficult moments when they're facing pressures of persecution, when they're walking through life's challenges in regards to sharing the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth to be reminded that their ministry will be effective because Jesus prays not just that people will respond in faith, but that faith would be capped. <laughs> And so we get to hear a glimpse of the effectiveness of their ministry because Jesus prays, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, their word will be effective as they proclaim the good news of the gospel. This should be an encouragement to you and I too. Because when we declare the apostolic message that they proclaim, which is the gospel message of Jesus Christ, we can take heart that Jesus prayed for those who would come to faith in him and we know that the word of God will not return void. And so this is an encouragement to us at times when we think, am I being even effective? Uh, is this even helpful for me to share my faith with a family member, a friend, a loved a co-worker? It just seems to fall on deaf ears. No, Jesus is doing a work in their heart. And all those whom the Father has given to the Son, they will come to faith in him as their Savior and as their Lord. And so this is an encouragement to their faith. And so we get to see first how his, the focus of the prayer is on the disciples. Secondly, we see the content of it. Verse 21, he prays that they all may be one. What does he pray? He prays for their oneness. He prays for their unity. He prays that you and I would be unified with 
all believers. Uh, what kind of unity are we talking about? Are we talking about unified in terms of an institution? Unified in terms of a denomination? Well, we get to read further. When we're talking about unified, we're talking about unified first relationally. Unified following the relational pattern between the Father and the Son. It says this, that they all may be one as what? As you, Father, are in me and I in you. The relational pattern of unity is between the Father and the Son. The relationship between the Son and the Father, uh, that unity and the question you might ask is, how are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit unified? Well, all throughout John's gospel, Jesus says it again and again and again. He says, I am an extension of the will of my Father. I am an extension of the work of my Father. I am an extension of the words of my Father. Jesus tells us over and over again, I don't do any work of myself. I am an extension of the works of my Father. You know those miracles Jesus does? He is an extension of God's work. You know God, who we read about in the Old Testament, who created the heavens and earth and everything in them and has all, powerful, all power over all things and speaks, speaks out of nothing, everything into existence? Jesus is an extension of that work, and we know that because he is God. When Jesus declares the message, he declares a message that is consistent with the message of the Old Testament, the message of what God declares. Jesus is an extension of the words of God. And we've read that all throughout John. Uh, let me uh, take you there. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus prays the extension of the will of the Father. He is an extension of the will of the Father. It says, I can, do, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus says, I'm an extension of the will of the Father. That makes me one with the Father. In John chapter 10, verses 37 to 39, Jesus says, I'm an extension of the work of the Father. If I do not do the works of my Father, he says, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in you. You know how you can know if I'm from the Father? If I'm from heaven, if I'm from God, take a look at what I do. Jesus goes on to say in verse 39, Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. Why did they want to kill him, the Jewish leaders? Well, because he was claiming to be God. If you say you're from God, you're ultimately saying you are God. And the question of the, the gospel of John is who is Jesus? Is he the Christ? Is he the Son of God? Uh, is he the one who offers everlasting life to anyone who believes in him? Well, the Jewish leaders, whether they believed in him or not, they believed what he was saying. And then he's also an extension of the words of, of the Father. John 12, 49 to 50, it says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. How is the Son and the Father and the Father and the Son? The Son is an extension of the will, the work, and the words of the Father. If you want to get to know the Father, if you want to get to know God, simply look at Jesus. People talk to you about, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I'm looking for God. Well, if you're looking for God, all you have to do or read the words that you hear in Scripture and you'll get to know who Jesus is. Take a look at the Gospel of John and then come back to me and tell me who is Jesus. Consider who he is in light of what the testimony is about him.
And so this is the prayer that they may be one, oneness, unity as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Then it says that they also may be one in us. Okay, so if the Son is an extension of the will, the work, and the words of the Father, what does it mean that we are in the Father and the Son or the Son and the Father? What does it mean that we are in God? That means that you and I, in our ministry, are an extension of the will of the Father, the work of the Father, and the words of the Father. What unites us is the fact that we know the will of God through the word of God. If you want to know what unites you, take a look at what you believe in light of what God's word says, and you will know whether you are one with your fellow believers. You're also an extension of the work of the Father. What is the work of the Father? What did Jesus do on this earth in the Gospel of Luke? Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Folks, we're an extension of the work that Jesus Christ began. Jesus went to heaven, and before he left, he gave the Great Commission. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What unites us is our common work. We are about making disciples to the ends of the earth. So if you want to know if you are one in in Christ, and therefore one with the church, the question is, are we living on mission? Are we making disciples? Not just corporately as a church, but individually who make up the local church. Are we making disciples? If you're a parent, are you discipling your children? Whether you realize it or not, you're the the primary discipleship maker in your home. You're the primary discipleship maker in the lives of your children, not their teachers, uh, not necessarily those who are the directors within the church. They're helpful. They're, they, they, uh, folks come alongside of us in discipling our children, and they help us, but uh, parents are the primary discipleship, disciple maker within the hearts and lives of their children. Also, the question is, well, if, if God has called me to make a disciple, and to make a disciple means that I make God known, and I bring people along in that relationship with, with, with what it means to know God, because Jesus says, go and make disciples, to go means you actually go out and find those in our circles of influence and make him known. Go, therefore, and make disciples of, of all nations, locally, globally, to the ends of the earth. Who has God put in your circle of influence to make God known to? And so, uh, what unites us is, is that we are connected in extensions of the will of the Father. We are connected to the work of the Father, but we are also connected to the words of the Father. And, and that is very much connected to our work, which is declaring the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he rose again in newness of life and he offers salvation as a free gift to anyone who would believe in him. That's the good news summed up in just a few words. And what we're reminded of, when we are one in God, we are extensions of his will, his words, and his works. So that's what it means to be Unified. We're not just talking about unity in terms of just loving everybody and uh, we, you believe one thing, we believe another. No, we're talking about what it means to be unified is in regards to knowing what the will of God is in light of his word, being an extension of his work and sharing the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And what does unity produce? What is the result of unity? Why does Jesus pray for 
unity. Well, the text goes on to say that the world may believe that you sent me. Why does Jesus pray for our unity? Because it gives credibility to our testimony of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That means on the other side of it, if we are not united, if we allow little things to divide us as a church, and instead of loving one another as Christ loved us, we don't give people a reason to believe. We give a a reason to doubt. We don't add credibility to the gospel. We take away credibility from the gospel. That's why Jesus prays for our unity. Now, unity is found ultimately in love, right? That's why Jesus said back in chapter 13, love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is where it gets difficult because um, it's easy to love those who love us. It's difficult to love those who don't love us or love us in the way we think they should love us. And so sometimes you're talking to somebody who's in a disagreement in a relationship and you ask them, why don't you love them selflessly, unconditionally, and sacrificially? Because that's what the scripture says. And sometimes the other person will say, or we will say in those moments of weakness is, well, because they're not showing me the kind of love I deserve. And I know what God's word says, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to love them selflessly, sacrificially, and unconditionally. The reason we can love those who don't love us the way that we should be loved, selflessly, sacrificially, and unconditionally, is because our love tank is not filled by people or the other person. Our love tank is filled by the love of God. And because he is the one who satisfies the deepest longing of my heart, because he is the one who satisfies the deepest longing of my soul, even when they don't love me like I should be loved, even those who I'm married to, those in my family, those among my friends, those who are my co-workers, the reason I can love them selflessly, sacrificially, and unconditionally is because God has already filled me with his love, and his love is enough for me. The problem presents itself when we don't really believe that. Is God enough for you? Has he filled your heart to the point that you don't need any of the other idols that they become? Is Jesus enough? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so that's what we are assured of in regards to the fact that we are to be extensions of his will, his words, of his works. And when we are united like we are to be united, the result is it gives credibility to our witness. What takes, what, what, what takes credibility away from our witness and what ultimately causes disunity? Sin. Whenever there is disunity uh, in regards to problems that shouldn't be present there, it's always sin. Either one of us or both of us or all of us. The sin is always the problem. And what we need to be focused on is the Lord. We need to be focused on his word. We need to be focused on his love. We need to be focused on those things that unite us rather than those things that divide us. And so he says, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so 
He prays for their unity, and he prays for their unity in regards to their relationship to God, but also he prays for their unity in regards to them being recipients of God's glory. Jesus goes on to say, and he says, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Jesus says that he has been given glory from the Father, and that same glory he has given to us. How has the Father given the Son glory? Well, the glory that we talked about in verse 1, if you remember, when Jesus prayed that he would be glorified and therefore the Father would be glorified, we're talking about Jesus being glorified through the work that the Father had sent him to do. Let me read you verse 1 back again. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may, be, may glorify you. How has the father given glory to the son? By giving him the work to go, leave heaven for earth, die on a cross. And so he's glorified first through his crucifixion. Now, from the world's perspective, we look at the crucifixion and we think that looks more like a defeat than a victory. But from God's perspective, and we know that it was part of God's plan from the very beginning, through his death on the cross, Jesus defeated sin, death, and Satan. And so Christ was indeed glorified on that cross because he fulfilled the purpose for which he was called. Not only is he glorified through his crucifixion, he's glorified through his resurrection when he's raised to life three days later, ratifying the fact that he truly defeated sin, death, and Satan on that cross. And then he's glorified in his exaltation. He sits at the right hand of the Father and he's coming back in glory. And so what we're told here is the Father gives the Son glory. And Jesus says, I have given glory to them. How have we received his glory and therefore been unified in light of that? Well, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you believe that Jesus is the one who died, rose, and is exalted, and coming back again in glory, then you receive his glory. When you receive Christ, you receive his glory. And what ultimately happens as we are being sanctified, conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, as we reflect more and more of God's character in light of who Jesus is, the more we glorify him. And so when when we become more selfless, sacrificial, when we become uh, more like Jesus in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, we're reminded that we don't get the glory because we're working harder, but God gets the glory because it's the Spirit of God working with the Word of God to change and transform our hearts and therefore change and transform our lives. What brings unity is being a recipient of the glory that has been given to us by the Son. And so... Jesus says there, and the glory which you, you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. So the fact that we receive Christ, that is what unites us. So we're united relationally. We're united as recipients of God's glory. And Jesus once again expresses what unity is all about. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. We're reminded that we are to be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so what it tells us here is we are being perfected. What, it mean, what does it mean to be perfected? It means to, to mature spiritually. 
And what the ultimate goal is for our lives as Christ changes and transforms us into the likeness of Christ is, is that we would grow into spiritual maturity. And where there is spiritual maturity, there is also unity. You show me Christians who are divided and you'll also find Christians who are spiritually immature. That's just the reality of it. And so Jesus says, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. And then this is the result. It gives credibility once again to the gospel. It says, and that the world may know. What does the world need to know? That you have sent me. They would know the truth, but also know something else and have loved them as you have loved me. Not that you would know that the Father loves you as the Father loves the Son, but that the world may know that the Father loves you like he loves his Son. What we're given in, in this text is not just Jesus' prayer, and it's encouraging for us to be united one with another relationally, and be united one with another as recipients of his glory in regards to knowing who Jesus is and what he accomplished, but knowing that our witness is, 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 it becomes more credible in light of living in unity one with another. Encouraging stuff. And so in light of verses 20 to 23, Jesus is the one who prays the Father's will for our unity. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism asked this question. Uh, what is your only comfort in life and death? Think about that for a moment. What is your only comfort in life and, life and death? And this is the answer. That I am not my own, but I belong. Body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to think about that for a moment is your greatest comfort in life and death knowing that you are loved by God, that you belong to his forever family? There are other things that we think will satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. We think it's, it's relationship. We think it's success defined in regards to this world. But our only hope in life and death is knowing that we belong to Jesus. Now, it goes on to say, to talk about exactly what that means, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. That means we belong. And has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. I belong. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of the Father in heaven. I belong. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Is your only hope in life and death knowing that you belong to Jesus? Knowing that your sins have been paid in full? Knowing that your hope is in him alone and that you'll spend eternity with God and his people forever? Endeavor. You may think there are some things in this world that will satisfy you, that will bring you some sense of joy, but the reality is Jesus is enough for you. Jesus is enough for me. Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything. And so the invitation today is to know that the Father loves you just like he loves his son. If anyone has children in the room, you know you have a special love for your children. 
I pray that you love them selflessly and sacrificially, unconditionally, that if they were in danger, that you would be willing to, to, to give your life for theirs. Now, unfortunately, because sometimes we're, we're selfish, you may not share that love with the person sitting next to you in the chair sitting next to you if, if they're not your children, maybe if you're, they're your spouse. But the reality is our children have a special love in our hearts. The father has the same love for you and I that he has for his son. That's encouraging. That's something you want to hold on to. That's something that you want to be reminded of. Um, if, if ever someone finds themselves on their deathbed, this is the prayer that I want prayed, uh, read to me in regards to what the son has prayed for me. I want to know that Jesus has prayed not just for unity. In a moment, we're going to talk about how he prays for our company. That's encouraging. And so if I could give us a couple takeaways, the first one is this, pray the Father's will for our church that we would be unified. D.A. Carson says this about unity. Unity is meant to be observable in the sense that the world will know that you are united, right? Um, it's not achieved by hunting enthusiastically for the lowest common theological denominator, but by common adherence to the apostolic gospel, by love that is joyfully self-sacrificing, by undaunted commitment to the shared goals of the mission with which Jesus' followers have been charged by self-conscious dependence on God himself for life and for fruitfulness. If I could sum it up for you, to be unified is to be unified in our relationship with Jesus. Because when you are one in the Lord, then you are going to produce the fruit therein. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So when you're connected to Christ, when you're connected to the Lord, you are going to see that fruit come forth. Now, when there is disunity, when we're being selfish, that's because that fruit isn't there. More like rotten fruit, right? Uh, in Ephesians 4.29, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. You, you, the Greek word there is rotten fruit, you know? Have you ever had fruit rot in your house and you didn't know where it was, you know? Like you had old bananas somewhere in the back. I mean, that's, that's what it smells like when you, you walk in the room and you're harboring uh, a selfishness in your heart or sin in your heart, you know? Like, you know, when you walk into the room and you're not connected to Christ and, and whether it's a church or whether it's your home, there is a, the stench of rotten fruit in the air. Stay connected to Christ. Some of the spouses in the room know. I know what that's like. I know what that smell is like when they walk in the room because they're not one with the Lord. Let's not be walking around with a stench. Let's be walking around with the fragrance of Jesus Christ united in him. I just want to list a few ways that we are to be united. First, united spiritually by our common profession of faith in Jesus. I could uh, list for you just uh, seven foundational doctrinal truths. These would be it. The first one is so we believe the Trinity, that God, the one true God, exists eternally as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three are one in essence, equal in glory, distinct in person. When Jesus is talking about his relationship with the Father, he's talking about his oneness with him. And God exists eternally. The one true God exists, at least eternally, as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, um, uh, doctrinal truth, we believe, is, is the full deity and humanity of Jesus through the incarnation. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Uh, we believe in the spiritual lostness of humanity that Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins and transgressions. 
Um, David, he put it this way, you know, in my mother's womb, I was born into sin. We believe that uh, salvation, uh, or excuse me, we believe in the substitutionary atonement and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus went to the cross, not because of his own sin, but in order to become our substitute. He lived a perfect life for us to give us his righteousness when we believe in him, and he died on that cross in order to receive our sin and pay our debt. That's why he said to Telestai, it is finished. Um, We believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. We are not saved by the deeds that we do or the good works that we have. We are saved because of his grace And even the ability to respond in faith is given to us by the Spirit who draws us to believe in the truth of who Jesus is. Um, We believe that Jesus Christ, his physical return, he's coming back again, uh, and he's going to consummate his kingdom. And and lastly, we believe in the, the, the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture. You know, if anyone denies any of those doctrinal truths, that's what it means to be a Christian, that's what it means to, to be a believer, to believe those things. So if someone comes to your door and says, you know, we don't affirm the full deity and humanity of Jesus. Jesus was a man, but nothing more than that. And we are Christians of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can say, no, you're not, right? I mean, so, so it's helpful to know what unites us. United spiritually by our common profession of faith. Secondly, united relationally to God and one another. Our relationship with God is what authenticates our unity. Uh, united by our testimony, by our witness, What is our witness before the world? The truth that Jesus was sent by the Father, that he is who he claimed to be, that he died, rose, offered salvation as a gift to anyone who would receive it. And then fourthly, united as recipients of God's glory. We are recipients of his glory as having received Christ, and as recipients of his glory, that means we worship and glorify him. Um, When we gather on Sunday mornings, we don't just stand up and sing songs because it makes us feel good. We sing together united, knowing that we sing to a God who isn't dead but is alive. He's the one who who paid the ultimate debt. He paid for our sins, rose again in newness of life. And we sing worship. We sing praises to the great I am. We declare him to be who he claimed to be. And that's what we do on Sunday. We worship together. You know, you're in the world during the week. You know, you're, you're going to work. You're in the grocery store. You're going about your business. And there's plenty of people who do not believe the truth of the gospel. But on Sunday morning, it's an opportunity to be refreshed, to get back into the huddle, to be re-energized, to be refocused on the mission. And then you go out to the ends of the earth and you declare the good news of the gospel. So pray the Father's will for our church that we would be unified and unified by the right things, unified relationally with God and unified as recipients of his glory. Secondly, pray the Father's will that we would have a sense of belonging and the assurance of his love. My, my, my biggest prayer is, is for our, our church and the individuals who make it up that you wouldn't just attend church, that you would belong to a family who is the church. Uh, there's people who say, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of the church because there's a bunch of hypocrites in there. Well, how do you love Jesus but hate his body? How do you love Jesus but hate his bride? I mean, what does that tell us about who we believe God is? And so there's this reality 
that we should belong. Uh, just a couple of things. Guard against shallow relationships. It's easy to come in and then roll out. Now, uh, we're small enough where you can get to know each other on a more intimate level. I think you, you grow larger. Uh, you have to be intentional about those relationships. But it, you can still come in on a Sunday morning, come in and then roll out. Uh, take time to, to, not, to guard against shallow relations. Secondly, cultivate meaning relation, meaningful relationships in the local church. And so if I could open up for discussion in regards to what that looks like, guarding against shallow relationships and cultivating meaningful relationships, how might you minister to a fellow believer who struggles with getting connected with other believers. In other words, they don't feel like they belong. Yeah, Harold. They need to get involved in a small group. Yeah. Yeah, groups go a long way where you can get connected, not just in a Bible study setting, but also get to know others in that group, pray together, uh, serve together, get to know one another very in a closer relationship. So small groups are a great setting to do that. Yeah. Any other ways? Other ways to cultivate meaningful relationships. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you really f find a sense of belonging once you start serving. Um, being a part of the body, you get to know other people. Um, I always tell single folks, if, you wanna, if you're looking for somebody who, to get married to, because they say sometimes you meet some Christ Christians, you know, who you're like, they're not very Christian, right? The best place to find them are those who are serving in the church. Now, not always, right? But, but there are times when if, if someone is truly faithful follower of Jesus Christ, they're going to be involved in the local church and they're going to be serving with the gifts that God has given them. A great way to find someone who is a faithful follower of Jesus and on the same page as you, uh, go serve with them, yeah. Anything else? How do you cultivate meaningful relations? Guard against the shallow relationships. Well, how about we ask the other side of the question? How do you guard against shallow relationships? Easy to come in, go out, right? Say my hello, Steve. It's not about me. It's about um, looking for the opportunity to let someone else know I see them and uh, we're glad you're here. Yeah. Other ways. Other ways you can guard against uh, um, shallow relations. Anyone have friends, family members, you know, you, who are in the church but, you know, not connected? Uh, they don't feel like they belong? What kind of advice would you give them? Come on, this is helpful stuff. Yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. Get in the church. Just set a date to go. Make it happen. It's good. What other advice? Yeah. So if they're local, bring them into church and say, hey, we're going to church. I'm going to introduce you to some folks. All right? Yeah. 
Anything else? I mean, this is, this is needed advice because I've got some family members who uh, are in church, but they don't feel like they belong, so I need some good advice tonight. Anything else you would share? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Consistency goes a long ways. That's how you get connected. Elena? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Just be more God-focused instead of me-focused. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Anything on your mind? You really need to get it off? (laughs) Yeah, Steve, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, get out of those holy huddles, certainly. Yeah, and so when even unbelievers who might come into the church, they see the unity, they see the Father, that, that we are loved by the Father in the same way that he loves the Son. Um, I mean, people see that, and they see what unity, true unity looks like. And so Jesus, uh, he prayed the Father's will for our unity. Secondly, Jesus prayed the Father's will for our company. This is neat. Verse 24, Jesus says this. Listen carefully to these words. I as I was reading this, I was thinking, if someone's going to read a Bible verse to me when I'm about to go, read this one to me. Uh, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Isn't that nice to hear? That Jesus prays to the Father that those whom you have given me, that they would be with me. What Jesus is praying, he's praying this as, as if he's already in heaven, as if the, the, the certainty that he's going to be crucified, that he's going to rise, and then he's going to ascend. He's coming back again in glory, and Jesus longs to be in the presence of the redeemed. Doesn't that encourage you? Like, like some of us would say, hey, I have a deep longing to, to be with Jesus. Like, I really want to see him in all of his glory, to see Jesus and be in his presence. Because the more I spend time with him in his word, I don't just want to read about him. I don't just want to be on, on mission for him, even though that's part of it. But I want to see him and be face to face with him. I mean, that's a day I'm looking forward to. And to know that Jesus longs to be with you more than you long to be with him. Does that, that encourage anybody? I think that's really encouraging that Jesus is praying for you and me to the Father that we would be with him. He prays for our company, the company of the redeemed, that what he accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection would yield the fruit thereof, and we would be with him. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory which you have given me. Some people say, unfortunately, I don't don't know. Earth is pretty exciting if I'm honest, you know. I don't know if I'm really excited to go to heaven because heaven might be a little bit boring, you know. What are we going to do up there? 
People say that sometimes. You, you say, you know, I, I love it. You know, life, I still got things to do. I still got a life to live down here. Now, we're, we're still have to be on mission for the Lord. There's still work to be done. And we need to uh, make disciples of as much people as possible. But, but, but what Jesus is saying is that they might be with him so that they might see his glory and all that it is. When we're talking about God's glory, we're, we're talking about his, his greatness, his power, his, his majesty. What's entertaining to you and I on earth? The 4th of July, great fireworks. Those are kind of exciting. You know, everybody goes outside. Whether you go to the fields or you go, oh, that's, that's pretty exciting. A good, good action movie, you know? Go out, people watch the, the good action films, you know? That's, that's awe-inspiring and thrilling. God's glory is so much greater. I mean, God's glory is so great, will be so awe-inspiring that we will just look at God in all of his glory and for eternity be impressed, standing in awe and wonder at the greatness of our God. What makes heaven amazing, what makes heaven exciting, what makes heaven worth it as we go about fulfilling the call that God has called us to go and reach the world for Christ is knowing that God is there. And his glory is there. And we're going to be with God and his people forever and ever. Jesus prays for you and he prays for me that we would be with him and that we would see his glory in all that he is. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. Jesus is being stood again. He's been, he'd been persecuted all throughout his ministry, and now he's going to experience the, the greatest persecution. He's going to be um, crucified on a cross. Now, he goes there willingly because no one takes his life. He gives his life up. But he says, the world has, has not known you, but, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Even the disciples who are about to be scattered, right, in fear, Jesus says, at least they know this, that I have been sent by you. Everything's going to come together later. Verse 26, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Once again, we need to be assured of the truth and we need to be assured of his love and assured of heaven. Jesus prays this for all believers. He prays this for you and for me. Jesus prays the Father's will that we would be with him in heaven and that we would see his glory. So he prays for our unity and he prays for our company. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I, I pray that as you go about your week, you would be reminded that, that what God's desire is for you, what Jesus' heart for you, is that you would be unified with his church. You'd be unified with fellow believers, regardless of where they come from and their background. Uh, unity, it does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we dress all the same. It'd be kind of weird. You come in here on Sunday morning and we all dress the same. That's called a cult, Right? You know, everybody looks the same. No, we're, we're called to be unified in terms of our relationship with Jesus Christ, having been recipients of the salvation that he's given us and the glory of who he is and what he has accomplished. If I could open it up for discussion as we wrap up, as you rest in the assurance of heaven, uh, when you think of heaven, or even as we're talking about it tonight, what excites you? Anything you're looking forward to? Any conversations you're looking forward to? to having either with Jesus or others among the redeemed of the Lord. What excites you about heaven? I'm excited 
Yeah. Yeah, we'll see it clearly. Yes. Yeah, truth. Yeah, yeah Harold? Complete deliverance from all battles of self. Yeah. Flesh, sin. Yeah. Delivered from the, the, the flesh. Delivered from the battle within. Yeah. Be great. Anything else you're looking forward to? No more pain, no more suffering, no more sickness. Yeah. 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 Amen. Yeah. I'll set, tell you, let me close on this note. I, I think... Of all those things and so much more, Jesus is going to be there. Uh, all those in the Lord are going to be there, our family members, our friends, our loved ones, but also who are going to be there are those that you sh- shared your testimony with or those that you ministered to that you didn't even know your ministry of the word impacted them and got them into heaven. What a wonderful thing that we're going to be talking and stories we're going to be telling as we meet up with people who said, hey, you don't know me, but I know you. And whether it was in the workplace, whether it was in the grocery store, whether it was a neighbor, and you had an opportunity to, to minister to them, say hello to them, give a Bible to them, pass a gospel tract to them, and one day they're going to tell you your witness was worth it. And you're going to be enjoying that forever and ever. So think about that in light of living in light of eternity. Who are those people you're looking forward to seeing in heaven? Tell as many people as possible about who he is and what he's done. Can we pray? Father in heaven, oh, we thank you for the opportunity to eavesdrop on the Lord's prayer. To hear what Jesus prayed right before he would go to die for our sins, rise in newness of life and accomplish what we needed, become our substitute, uh, by our salvation, forgive our sins. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that our prayer would be the same of that of our, of our Lord. We pray for unity among believers and among those who profess faith in you. We pray, Lord, that our unity would give credibility to our witness, that whoever we share the good news of the gospel with, that um, uh, they would see what it's like to be loved by God, what it's like to be one uh, in fellowship with one another because of our relationship with God, and they would say, I want that. I want to learn more about who Jesus is. Father, I pray that we would live in light of eternity, live in light of heaven, that our motivation now to share the gospel with as many people as possible and bring as many people as possible to heaven is knowing what heaven's gonna be like. We're gonna see you in all of your glory, God. And Father, we pray that that would encourage our hearts and persevere us in our faith. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for our time together. We pray your blessings on these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.